Micah Miller trying to spring a pass ahead. Nobody in front of Jack Paling. Moves on with a blast and scores! Jack Paling We aren't giving up on chances, and we just got to bottom line execute. Waits, waits, passes in front. Great save, Pelosi, as she robs a gopher in front of her. And that was number eight, Kippen Keller, on the great A opportunity. For me as a coach, that's the kind of D you're always looking for because uh, they don't grow on trees for sure, and, and he's done a really good job being a captain of a really young team this year. It's a really cool thing to see for them to uh, really appreciate what I've done on and off the ice. To the far half wall, Jack Paling trying to play it into the corner. Now Paling turns, squares his body to the slot, sends it up high toward Jack. Shaw makes his play through and they score! Right along the blue line, Nick Paling was in front of the net, and St. Welcome back to the Den Husky New Warming House podcast, fans. It's episode number 45. A lot to talk about this week. Plenty of content in the Center Ice View news and notes section. We also join up with a former Husky defenseman on the Healthy Scratch interview later on in this week, but also uh, some stuff to definitely break down between the men's and women's performances for the Huskies on the ice here so far. Uh, but uh, to bring it into my co-host, Noah Grant, I'm Nick Maxson. Uh, Noah, how are things going? I see that you're in the, uh, the concourse of the Herb there, so I wonder <laughs> uh, at the end of it, is it warm in there? I mean, what's going on inside the Herb right now? Yeah, um, well, I wish I was actually in the Herb. Um, I'm actually in a small studio office in northern North Dakota. Um, I would give anything to be in the Herb right now. Um, but uh, I got my boy Drew hanging out with me, Hobie Baker winner, uh, keep, keeping me company here. Don't forget, we are going to talk some Minnesota Wild talk as well. A little bit of broadcaster talk, too, and the reason we mention that is this is the first week that we do bring in our co-host uh, for the Center SU News and Notes segment, and that is uh, former CBS announcer Ben Holden. Uh, Ben's got some pretty cool things cooking and some pretty great insight into Huskies hockey, so really excited about that but other than that nick uh, i started school this week um it's been a grind uh, <laughs> it's been very very busy but uh you know what it's kind of funny for you know most people don't like working i mean i don't really know a whole lot of people who like you know working but i'm one of those people that once i really get going and my motor starts to kind of get running i become more efficient and you know actually probably am i don't want to say a better person but i just you know end up taking care of things a lot better than you know if you're kind of hit or miss um, especially how a college schedule works. But uh, how about you? You're about, what is it now? Two weeks, two weeks into your new job, give or take uh, one week into your job. So we're kind of both in the same boat of uh, newness of occupations, if you will. Uh, it's going well. Again, it's, it's, it's no different than where my old location was. It's just adjusting. They do things a little bit differently, not a ton, but uh, the people have been really good. I've been getting to know some of the, the different clients coming in and out the door. So um, overall, again, just happy to have some stability that way. Um, I think that's the most important thing. Again, we, you know, I, I say this to a lot of people through the pandemic, you know, I'm very fortunate that, you know, my impact from the pandemic, as far as, you know, paycheck is concerned or whatnot has been essentially minimal. Um, so I know a lot of other folks uh, throughout this country, whether it's with furloughs or being, uh, I guess, laid off or having pay cuts. I mean, there's been so many people have been affected by this in one way or another. And, uh, you know, to really, as far as having uh, a job, you know, essentially secured and, and to have very little impact has been uh, very, very well 
you know, I, I can't say how lucky I feel to ha- to be in that position. Um, so yeah. at the end of it, it's going good. You know, yeah. at the end of it, uh, we're uh, two weeks in. I'm sorry, we're one week into school as well. So uh, it, it's a uh, it's a grind to put it that way. I'm going to be doing some producing stuff as well as some writing stuff. So it's it's going to be a, a definitely a fun filled couple of months here. But uh, you know, we're anxious to get going and get things rolling. Yeah, I'm really happy you mentioned uh, being grateful. Uh, my cousin actually works. He's a little bit older than me. He has a master's degree in teaching, and he, I believe he's going to lose his job in Hawaii. So, I mean, it's just the constant ebb and flow of everything that's been going on with the pandemic and everything else. We're just happy we get to be here uh, and get to sit down with some great people, including Ben and Brett uh, Hedekin later this week. Like you mentioned, that was one heck of an interview. Um, he was a little crunched for time, so I wish we probably could have talked for about two hours with him. But uh, the 30 minutes he gave us was just absolutely phenomenal. So we're really excited to bring that to you later in the week. Um, Something else that will be kind of changing as we move into the future, um, a little bit of update for our listeners is going to be our two-line fan trivia. And the one thing that's going to change here is uh, it's a good learning moment for us as we finally had our trivia question this week again after some, it's been a real rough couple of weeks, I would say for the, for the trivia. Um, I think what we're going to do uh, for the future for our trivia fans is we're going to have two seasons of trivia um, that kind of coincide with the men's hockey's uh, season. So what we're going to do is once the men's hockey season is over, so regardless of if they're done after the regular season or if they're done, you know, if they make it to the national championship game, as soon as the last, the week of the last game is played, that will be the final trivia um, for that season. And then during the off season, during the summer, that will be another trivia season. So we'll kind of have an off season trivia season and leaderboard, and then it'll reset at the start of the season and then, you know, rinse and repeat. So just so all of you know that, uh, um, you have a chance to move yourself up on the leaderboard when the current leaderboard expires, if you had an interest in doing that. Um, and we also, Speaking of our trivia this week as well, Nick, uh, we did have uh, um, myself being a little bit too busy when we had a lot of correct answers for the trivia question this week. So we are going to do a special drawing for three select listeners who did participate in trivia, and we didn't get back to them in time to let them know who had won. So they're going to get a chance at a Husky's Warming House hat. So that's what we got going on. So let's jump right into two-line fan trivia. Two-line fan trivia is your chance to win some sweet Husky's Warming House podcast apparel every Saturday at noon. Simply follow us on Twitter, and when 12 o'clock noon rolls around on Saturday, gear up to take on the best in the two-line fan trivia leaderboard for your chance to win a Huskies Warming House podcast hat. Twitter followers also have a chance to win more Huskies Warming House podcast apparel, and you'll also find the latest in St. Cloud State Husky coverage. Two-line fan trivia, every Saturday at noon. The question this week, uh, we didn't have trivia last week, but we did have it yesterday on Saturday, January 16th. Don't forget two-line fan trivia for those who are curious every Saturday at noon central time on our Twitter page. Be the first person to answer the trivia question correctly. And uh, if it's your first time winning, you have a chance to win a Hussie's Warming House podcast hat. So the, so the question this week here, Nick, um, upcoming guest Brett Hedekin had his number 24 sweater retired on November 6, 2010. The only Husky to have that honor. Kyle McLaughlin, Matt Gens and Matt Stevenson have worn number 24 as well. However, who was the final men's hockey player to wear number 24 before it was retired? Nick, do you have any idea who this is? 
I'll be uh, completely honest with you. I have not a clue. <laughs> not a I, clue. I, I don't think a lot of people knew. I, I we had uh, about four or five correct answers, uh, if not more. Um, so Brody Falconer was our winner, the first to hit double digits on that leaderboard uh, with his tenth win. The correct answer was Taylor Johnson. Uh, he wore number twenty-four for only one season in that two thousand nine ten season before having to switch to number four because of the jersey change. Uh, so Nick, I guess, uh, yeah, I didn't really know that one either, but I thought it was kind of interesting. Uh, for those of you who don't know, if you look into the St. Cloud state record book, which is a great handy tool to have for trivia, I'm just going to tell you that right now. Um, they do have who has worn what number for all of the, um, you know, for all the years, at least for the division one side of things for St. Cloud hockey. So it was really cool to kind of learn about that. But as we mentioned, we do have a special drawing at brick wellness, uh, Caleb J Peabody, who's been a very avid fan of ours and the 200 foot game, which I believe is a podcast. They are entered in our special drawing here, Nick. So let's maybe jump right over to that and see who is going to be our winner here for two line fan trivia, uh, special drawing. And the winner here is, I believe his, his actual Twitter name is Swiss cheese, but it's at brick wall Hess, if I'm saying that correctly. So congratulations to Swiss cheese as his, uh, Twitter name, uh, is listed. Um, Nick, I mean, did you ever think about being a goalie as a kid? I know you play goalie for house league, but did you ever, did you ever think that you were, you know, cut out to be a goaltender like uh, our pal Swiss cheese there? Uh, <clears throat> I don't, I don't think so. Um, I, I know that, you know, certainly here in Minnesota, I'm not sure what they do that in North Dakota, but part of, I think it's, you know, when you're in mites, uh, in squirts, I believe they actually make you rotate the goaltender position. Um, so I, I played a couple of times and I still, I still remember when I was playing for Bloomington Kennedy and, uh, you know, it's, it's a house pad set, you know, it's not the greatest, uh, you know, set of equipment. But I think what was funny is you're you're watching goaltenders go out of the net and play the puck. And I remember doing that a couple of times. And uh, I, to hear the hockey mom uh, come at come down to me like, <laughs> "Why the hell are you out of the net?" Um, and you know, it's not like a, you know what I did caused a turnover or anything. But I was like, "Oh, that's kind of fun." So I would uh, there was a lose. I remember two distinct plays. It was a puck that was coming down the ice. I think it was an icing call, but everybody was way the heck like half the ice away my defenseman was going to win the race. So I just kind of strided out like 10 strides and I just kind of poked it one, like, here you go. And then there was one time where it was a, a, a kind of a same situation. It was a red line dump in and I went behind the net, just stopped and went back in. And uh, I think my mom just didn't want me to, uh, to mess up and cause the team a goal, but uh, um, it's, it's a fun challenge, you know, every now and then, but I don't think full time it would have been my thing. I like scoring more uh, rather than stopping, but uh, I, I think, you know, for something to kind of throw into the mix every now and then to have a little fun with it. I think it's still a, a really fun position to play. I didn't even know you knew how to score. I've never seen it personally. Anyway, speaking of that, yeah. anyway, speaking, speaking of a score, we do have our score and our new guest, Ben Holden, who will join us for the center ice view news and notes. Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. And welcome to Center Ice View News and Notes and the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Round.
The National Hockey League was back in action for the first time in almost six months today. 22 NHL players missed opening night because of COVID-19 concerns. One player, however, who was reported to not be in the lineup for Sunday's home opener, excuse me, in Florida, was 34-year-old veteran defenseman Keith Yandel. The Panthers' alternate captain holds the longest active Ironman streak at 866 in consecutive games played, dating back to 2009. On Sunday, that streak will continue for at least one more day as head coach Joan Gwenville has put him back into the lineup. Yandel notched 45 points in 69 games last season, but for some unknown reason has fallen out of favor with the organization. He has three seasons remaining on his contract, which pays him $6.35 million annually. The National Hockey League also confirmed its two outdoor games to be played in Nevada at Lake Tahoe this season. February 20th and 21st marks two limited capacity contests that will not include fans. First, the Colorado Avalanche and Vegas Golden Knights will play on day one, followed by the Boston Bruins and Philadelphia Flyers on day two. The rink will be on the 18th hole at Edgewood Golf Course, and these games will be the 31st and 32nd outdoor games in NHL history. Well, there was another NHL team this past week that felt fit to name a new captain, their first captain in franchise history. That's Mark Stone. He spent many years with the Ottawa Senators. He takes over as their captain. They've never had a player in the four years of their franchise wear the seat. Alex Petrangelo and Riley Smith will be the alternate captains this season for the Vegas Golden Knights. Let's say out west, boys, shall we? Because San Jose Sharks forward Evander Kane is in some hot water down in San Francisco. He will play for the club this season amidst the birth of his child, which is overshadowed by his recent filing for bankruptcy. The 29-year-old has signed a seven-year, $49 million contract just two seasons ago. However, the Ford has $28.6 million worth of debt related to casino gambling and bank loans. Kane has only $10 million in assets to go along with an estimated $52 million in earnings over his 11 NHL seasons. His contract stipulates that a certain percentage of his salary will automatically go to his debt collection fees. In other news, we have a correction from last week's show. Uh, we did incorrectly state that former Flames defenseman Travis Hamannick signed a professional tryout offer with Calgary. The correct team was actually Vancouver, who did ink the defenseman to a one-year $1.25 million extension. Former Canuck Ben Hutton also nabbed a single-year deal in Anaheim. New Jersey's Jesper Bratt signed for two years, and four other players were claimed off of waivers by another NHL team in the past week. In local news, the Minnesota Wild extended Marcus Foligno for three years this past week. Chicago bench boss Jeremy Colleton also was extended for two years, and this year's top UFA on the free agent market in Mike Hoffman signed a one-year, $4 million deal in St. Louis. In our second-to-last story of this very well-written weekly roundup, two more NHL players are retiring. Longtime St. Louis Blues defenseman and Calgary Flame and Florida Panther Jay Bomeister is calling it a career after 17 seasons in the league. The 37-year-old won a cup with the Blues in 19 before collapsing on the bench in a game last February, which proved to be his final contest in his career that spanned 1,240 games in the National Hockey League. He put up 424 points during his time in the league. So we wish Jay Bowmeister all the best. And in the great state of Michigan, as I like to say, multiple sources say that veteran goaltender Jimmy Howard is reported to be done after 14 seasons. The 36-year-old would finish third in Red Wings history with 246 career wins and 24 shutouts. While the retirement is not official, the free agent stated that he is enjoying spending time with his family while the NHL season is currently underway. 
In our final story, boys, to finish out our weekly roundup, Flyers' Sean Couturier had an MRI in his shoulder after a hit on Friday and will be out at least two weeks. Former Minnesota Wild Center Eric Stahl is day-to-day after a high hit from St. Cloud State Husky former defenseman Nick Dowd. And three big-name players in Kirby Dock, Jonathan Taze, and Vladimir Tarasenko moved to the LTIR this week for Chicago and St. Louis, respectively. And that will do it for our weekly roundup uh, this week, gentlemen. And uh, as you heard uh, for our weekly roundup this week compared to last week, we we have a new guest uh, and a permanent uh, guest for the time being, a new co-host on the show, a new voice you might have heard in Ben Holden. Benny, how you doing this morning? Uh, I, anything happening in the great state of Michigan? Uh, no, it's probably similar to there. It's gray and cloudy. There's a little bit of snow flying, but uh, I did some football yesterday, so I got back in the saddle. My first gigs of uh, 2021 and – I will tell you this. I will share this with you guys. I will be doing a college hockey game next week. That's all I'm telling you. Uh, so I'll be back in the barn. I'm really excited. Uh, you guys will see later in the week, but um, got that news yesterday. In the second game I was doing, I was doing color uh, for high school football state finals. And uh, it was kind of cool, man. You know, as a play-by-play guy, as Nick knows, you know, he's done games. It's You kind of got to drive the ship and as a color guy yesterday, we did eight player football and it was, I'd never done it. It's two state championship games. And, uh, it was great, man. I had a lot of fun and it just felt great to put the headset on again. I hadn't done a game since the last game in the bubble. So, um, but I'm stoked about that. Got a lot of things brewing. And, uh, like I said, next week I'll be, uh, this coming week, I'll be, uh, I'll be doing a college hockey game and, uh, more to come. So, awesome. yeah, congratulations, Ben. Thanks so- guys. So, so when you, when you aren't, uh, I mean, we saw that you were game prepping for our show and just kind of other things in general. Uh, have you been doing anything in your downtime to kind of stay busy, you know, sleeping a lot? I mean, what's your routine? Looking for jobs, man. Just, just grinding. <laughs> I got a lot of things I'm working on and a lot of irons in the fire. It's, you know, we're in the middle of the month now. So, you know, things are getting back in a bit of a flow in terms of, you know, the end of the year, the start of the year, as we all know, is always, it's a dead period, right? I mean, people take time off and, so, yeah, I've been busy with that and, uh, you know, just grinding and digging. And and I got a lot of things I'm working on this week, uh, some, some folks I'm talking with. So um, hopefully uh, I got more to share with you guys. We keep doing this and, uh, you know, watching hockey and just staying fresh and uh, seeing what I can, uh, like I said, seeing what I can cultivate. So it's been uh, it's been good. Speaking of the middle of the season, Ben, maybe it's a good time to transition over. Uh, uh, Nick and I got a chance to kind of kind of take in a little bit of these games, and that's the women's hockey team for St. Cloud, who really had ultimately a better run this weekend uh, than the men's team did. Women's hockey winning by a score of 3-1 to one on that Friday night over Bemidji with an empty net goal. And then uh, I believe it was 2-2 two to two was the tie uh, last night on Saturday, and then St. Cloud lost the extra point as Bemidji won the shootout there. So, uh, um, Nick, I mean, what are your kind of thoughts on this uh, St. Cloud State women's hockey team? We talked about that uh, previous weekend. They go, they play three games against against the Gophers, play them real tight that Thursday, get their doors blown off on Saturday, and then had an okay response, I think, on Sunday, just didn't get the results they were looking for. Um, is, is this uh, indicative of a team that has a legitimate chance to fill that number four seed uh, in the WCHA conference, or do you still need to see more from this group to – say that they're the consistent real deal. 
I still, I still think we need to see more, but I think we can say that this team is much improved. Uh, this team is not, you know, near the bottom of the WCHA like it has uh, been last season. Uh, there's definitely some strides. I think the new question, Noah, is, you know, what's the ceiling for this hockey team? What's their next big step? And, and for me, it's going to be just to continue to try to push the offensive end of the envelope. Uh, on those couple of games where they did come on the losing end of the Gophers, um, the shot totals were quite, you know, polar opposites. Uh, the Gophers spending a lot of time in the offensive zone inside the Huskies defensive zone uh, to me that's just you know again the Gophers are a great team they're up there with Wisconsin some of the best teams in women's college hockey uh, so to me at the end of the day th this team is a team that has taken steps but I want to see this team take another one and so to me yes they are number four team I think they can consistently be there but now the question is where how, how, how high can they go and that to me is the next question for the squad. And I'm glad you mentioned the shots on goal portion, too, because I believe it was Friday night entering the third period. Shots were 27 to 9 in favor of Bemidji, but St. Cloud was up by a score of 2 to nothing. So definitely uh, some underlying things as far as shot suppression that I think this group still needs to be a little bit tighter defensively. Uh, a group that was very tight defensively in terms of uh, their play was Western Michigan, who uh, pulled off the sweep against the number four team in the country, our men's hockey team in St. Cloud State. Uh, ben, uh, especially Friday night was a really, really tough night for St. Cloud. I mean, what did you kind of notice from this group? Um, and, and I mean, you got to see this group through six games in the pod and then a couple of weekends prior to this weekend. Uh, did this group for St. Cloud look like the same group that you saw in the pod? No, they didn't. They just didn't. I mean, you know, from what I saw in the pod was they, they played at a high pace. And, you know, I, I'll say this, I'm not making excuses for them. But it is tough to play in that building for whatever reason. I mean, I, I always go back to the old line that Jeff Jackson gave me years ago, back in the days of the CCHA when Notre Dame would go in there a lot. It's like pinball in that place. It's just, it's, and it, even without fans, it's still, everything is just, it seems like it's a smaller, it seems like the rink's about 60 feet wide, right? And so I think that factored into it, but, you know, they played games in there. So I don't know how much I, you know, believe that I just look Western Michigan. They're the one team in the conference to me, guys that dealt with. Yeah. North Dakota had guys gone, but that's different. I mean, you lose your starting goalie and they were decimated in the, in the pot. And, you know, then they come back and they beat St. Cloud. I mean, I hate saying this because I know the show I'm on, it's a St. Cloud show, but Western Michigan could be four and zero. I mean, if Josh Passel doesn't bat that puck down in the first the first game for both teams in the pot, it was game two after Omaha and Duluth. They could be four and zero against St. Cloud. So they've had a they've had their number. And what 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 impresses me about the way they play is, and that's Western. They they just they play that hard, heavy, physical game, and they wear you down below the dots, below the goal line if they can. And you know, I, I didn't see the same kind of jump or the same kind of pace out of the Huskies, as I saw in the pod, uh, certainly on Friday night. And I totally agree with you, Ben. Uh, if there's one thing that uh, Dave Starman would say, I said this in a couple of recaps as well, is the forward gap control. Western Michigan yeah. has really taken, an, uh, I guess, an ownership of uh, defensively coming back through the middle of the ice. Uh, and again, when you wear a team below the dots, especially in the, in the Huskies, we know that they're not a big team up front. They have some size in the back end, uh, but you know, besides Nick Perbix, you know, some of those guys that are back there 
are not going to be the best skating. They're not necessarily, you know, as good two ways as Nick Perbix is. And what you're seeing is a lot of just chip off the glass and you're not carrying the puck with possession. So at some point you're taking the speed, you're taking the puck possession, you're taking the strengths away from the Huskies. And Western Michigan did such a good job of that. Um, we've talked about maybe that was going to be the big concern with the Huskies this season coming in was, you know, they're not the big team, especially up front, and they're going to have to play mentally like a big team. And they just they really didn't do that this weekend. You have to respond physically, and that's going to be, you know, sort of a, a comeback-to-earth moment for this Husky squad getting swept in Lawson. And they're going to have to really pull things together and really have a self-check uh, in between the ears when they come home against Miami because Miami is, you know, they're about the same type of team. They're going to be yeah. a hard-hitting squad. And for St. Cloud, yes, they're going to have some uh, some more ice to work with, but, you know, you can only have home ice for so long. We've seen that the this Husky team, when it's had talent, has done well in the regular season, but then you get to the playoff time, and for whatever reason, that small life just causes them fits. So you really need to respond this upcoming weekend. And to me, they just need to have this check of you know going in there and getting more physical on and winning those 50-50 puck battles and those physical battles. Yeah, I mean, I I would add. Sorry, no, I would add to that. You know, the guys for Western Michigan that do what you're talking about, what I was talking about, really well are guys like Paul Washi. Now they got his brother on the team. Guys that they're they're not. You know, they're not, they're not, to me, they're not top six guys, but they're the guys that fill out the other lines. Those are guys like Brett Van Oss. Those are guys like Ty Glover, a freshman who I really liked. I think he's going to be a good hockey player. Drew Warad's another one of those guys. Um, even Ethan Frank, all the goals he scored, he still plays that. And I saw you guys on Friday with the paper and they're lacking the grit. They're lacking the sandpaper, St. Cloud that is. And they, they got to find a way to play that way especially against teams like Western Michigan, because that's the way they played under Andy Murray since he's been there. And when they, when they're clicking, it works. And, and you're right. I agree with you, Nick, on, on Miami. They got a hot goaltender. They might have the hottest goaltender in the entire conference and one of the hottest goalies in the country. And they've kind of found their footing. So, you know, you better be kind you better be ready to play. We've said it for years, all the years of this conference, any given night, anybody can beat anybody one through eight. And, and we saw that this weekend. Three unanswered goals for Western Michigan on Friday, pushing that score to six to two on Friday, and then a three to one loss with that empty netter last night. Uh, and, and you guys touched on it perfectly, uh, Andy Murray. Uh, this team plays well within his style. I think about Western Michigan uh, <clears throat> and their speed game. Excuse me, Western uh, w- is not the faster team compared to Saint Cloud. Saint Cloud is a much faster group, but they played so well within their structure where you know. Uh, and again, we touched on it last night a little bit. I don't think the officiating was poor by any means. Only four total power plays in the entire weekend. But I think that this Western Michigan group does a really good job of, I, I almost call it interfering without interfering, where when a guy is getting ready to step around you as a defenseman, you don't take him off his feet, but you just step in his lane just a little bit. And when you're St. Cloud and you're not scoring and you get your speed game kind of thrown off kilter by guys that are just, you know, giving you a little nudge as you go into the corner, well, then you start not being able to win those puck races. Then you don't start to threaten the middle of the ice. And I think you started to see that through St. Cloud, that frustration started to come out where you saw this group finally get a little bit more physical at the tail end of last night's game, but they just couldn't find a balance because Western Michigan, uh, they didn't play a trap style, but they just keep the play very, very simplistic and play very well into their structure. It makes me think of a little bit honestly like cc a couple years ago against st cloud 
you know, don't they call that almost playoff hockey where the refs mm-hmm. are going to let them play at the end of it? That's yeah. the type of physical play that you have to overcome. <clears throat> There's one thing maybe that St. Cloud lacks, and, you know, Brady Zemer was out of the lineup on Saturday's game, but, you know, they're missing sort of that guy that can go in there and spark your team. You know, a guy that can go in there and, you know, create, you know, some havoc, just have a couple of big hits where you're chumping and chasing the puck and just laying on some guys. And they're just trying to, you know, kind of, you know, push back a little bit. They really don't have a line that's doing that. And that's not to take away anything from the Cockrell, uh, Will Hammer, and I believe it's Kyler Cooper that's been on that fourth line. They've been really, really good. But you just don't have that, you know, that spark guy that's on this on the squad. And someone's going to have to emerge because if that's kind of a playoff-style game, which I think it was on Saturday. That doesn't bode well for the Huskies coming up here, especially in the NCHC playoffs, even more so in the NCAA tournament. You know, I'm curious, too, and I want to get Ben's thoughts on this. For me, you know who I actually think that guy might be? I think it might be Kevin Fitzgerald. And for me, Kevin Fitzgerald fits that bill because of this. He's a guy that, um, you know, he has a fair amount of skill. Obviously, he had a really nice absolute bullet of a goal, uh, I believe uh, it's Friday night, the second goal, yeah. to get him within one. Um, but he's a guy for me that I see him when he engages in puck battles and really starts winning those 50-50 races, the, the team starts to kind of roll around him. Uh, Micah Miller might be another one, but for me, I think Kevin Fitzgerald with his senior leadership, uh, you know, he's played very, very well this year. I think he's a guy that I, I don't know if he knows it yet, but he has kind of sometimes been a spark plug for this group where he just catches lightning in a bottle at some point and creates offense for this team. And sometimes I think that, and this is no offense to Kevin, I just don't think he realizes how good he is this year sometimes and how much he really does have more of an impact on the game than maybe even he realizes. Uh, ben, is there a guy for St. Cloud that you look either on you know, the, the forward end or the back end that you're, you think he's kind of a guy that is kind of an unknown or maybe known catalyst for St. Cloud as far as jumpstarting that physical play and offense? Yeah, the guy, I, I would just flip those two around or I'd even put him as 1A and 1B. And I, I wanted to say Miller because, you know, watching Friday's game and, you know, I don't like to get on guys, but I, I didn't see a lot from him on Friday. He's capable of playing a lot better. And you guys know how much I, I respect his game. And I think a couple shows ago when we talked, he was a guy that I said, I, I think he can be, he can be a really good pro, but you got to bring consistency um, the way he skates and the strength he has, I think he's a guy. Fitzgerald, I like that. You know, they need to take a little page from our old buddy Blake Lazat. That's the way Blake played. And, and Nick talked about, you know, getting guys to kind of what we started talking about here was playing with more edge, playing with more grit. You know, they're gone, but the Paling boys, they did that. They could come in and score big goals. Obviously, they're gone, and guys got to step up. So my, my guy in that regard, Noah, would be, would be Miller. And, and then Fitzgerald. So yeah, we're on the same page there. They, he's got to get more. He's got to give him more in that regard. And you know, you're not going to get that from the flying fins. You're not going to get that throughout the game. That's not their game. And and I and I know that's not the way Brett Larson wants him to play. He wants them scoring goals, moving the puck, playing at a high pace. So those are two guys that certainly could uh, could add to that for the Huskies moving forward. Nick, final question uh, here for the men's hockey team before we get to a listener question that we have regarding this group. Um, you know, especially I think a lot of fans were disgruntled with the effort on Friday night. And I think that culminated over to Saturday with that 2 nothing lead that Western jumped down to and ultimately held uh, to win the hockey game. 
I, you know, there's been some talk a little bit about St. Cloud allowing a goal, you know, early on in the hockey game, uh, their goal differential in the first period is uh, minus three, or it was entering last night's game, minus three and plus seven in the third period. Um, and they were even in the second period. So St. Cloud, I, I think it's no surprise that this group, I, uh, besides the Friday night game is predominantly a group that gets better as the game goes on. We saw that I think on Saturday, just wasn't able to find that extra bounce. Uh, a couple of the words we saw kind of in this group though, uh, um, that the effort was embarrassing. Uh, would you characterize this effort for St. Cloud as an embarrassing uh, effort? Um, were there times where it was embarrassing? I mean, how, how, would you, how would you assess that for the fans who are a little more disgruntled? Do they have a case or do we kind of have to bring it back towards the middle again? I think the word I would use is disappointing. Honestly, I don't think embarrassing is the right word because embarrassing to me would be that you're not playing in your system. You're, you're kind of being a one-man show. Uh, no, the, this team would just be – because we've seen how good they can be. So I think disappointed is the right word where, you know, if this team is clicking in all cylinders, they're essentially a top five team in the country. When they're not, you know, we saw with the result this weekend in Western Michigan. Uh, so to, to me and for the listener, you got to come back to earth a little bit. And this is college hockey. Again, you're also playing in the best conference in college hockey where you, you have to get over this one versus eight and two versus six. It doesn't matter. All these, all these programs are really good. We saw it against CC. Um, as CC, you know, they don't have necessarily the, the name recognition as far as their players are concerned with high-end talent, but they play in a system that just frustrates the absolute hell out of you, and they do such a really good job doing so. And, you know, when I suppose the, the non-hockey intelligent fans look at this, they just look at a number and say, well, CC's not a good program. Why aren't we steamrolling this uh, team 10-0? Mm -hmm. Same thing with Western Michigan in the pod second time around. They just came off losses, what, 10-2 to and what, 8-3 to or something like that? And yeah. when we lost 2-1, to there was this huge uproar. It's like, guys, <laughs> this is college hockey. Also, Western Michigan has a former NHL coach, Andy Murray. He knows how to get the most out of his guys. He knows mm -hmm. how to adjust his systems with the players that he has. He knows how to get the best out of his team. So at the end of this, no. Is it disappointing? Yes. Was, is it embarrassing? No, it's not. On that front, if the one big thing that this team needs to get better at is their starts. Yes, it's good that you get better as the game goes along, but what's that say about a team that's constantly chasing the game? Yes, in the pod, they were able to come from behind a few times, but just as the teams get better as the season goes along, that means that you're gonna once you get a lead, you're going to be better at keeping that lead. You're going to really force a team to start taking chances again in that game. Against Friday, you know, there was a couple of those couple of uh, goals after they went up by two where St. Cloud at that point taking chances there were a couple of odd man rushes. So to me, that was indicative of a team just trying to be desperate and getting back in the game. So to me, it's disappointing, but it's not embarrassing. No easy night in the NCHC. Ben, uh, what does this men's group have to look forward to in terms of Miami next weekend? What can they expect out of the Red Hawks? Well, I think uh, they're going to see a lot of the same in terms of what Western gave, I, gave them. I think... I mentioned him earlier, Ludwig Pearson, and, and that kid is not kid. He's 21. He's a 21 year old freshman. So let's, let's put things into perspective, right? <laughs> that young man has really given them consistency in that part of their game. He's given them a lot of confidence. He's given them that calming presence. We hear that phrase in hockey all the time. He's done that for them. And I think they're similar to, to Western in this sense. They don't have two or three high end guys. They just don't. That's not who they are. They might down the road because I think Chris Bergeron's a hell of a recruiter. And I think he's going to get that program back quicker than a lot of people think. What they have is a, is a workmanlike attitude and, and they're going to try to take it, take advantage of the opportunities they're given. 
Um, we saw him late in the pod. I remember talking with Dave, you know, one of the things he said, he goes, I think Miami could be the team that benefits the most out of this thing and improves the most by the end of it. I don't know if that came true or not, but certainly by the end of it, they were playing a lot better. I mean, you know, they just had a sweep. They had the weekend off, obviously. I think it'll be a tough series. I think St. Cloud will be better at home um, for whatever that's worth. Um, but they, you know, I, I just, I, I, two things I want to follow up real quick, if I could, with what Nick said. And he talked about, yeah, it's great. You're finishing strong. It's a 60 minute game, man. you got to play a full 60. And I think too, great point that Nick made talking about a program like CC, not to pick on them or anything, but people say that. And the, my point is you got to give credit where credit's due. Sometimes the other team, I mean, it's, you know, they want to win too. They're not out there and saying, Oh, we're the team that has, eight points and they have 12 or whatever it is, you got to give these other programs credit when it, when it's due. And, and I really think that uh, they, you should, fans should be doing that. Yeah. They're disappointed in their team losing, but getting swept, but that's a, that's a hardworking hockey team. They just played. And I think in the, in the long run, I think they'll be better for it. They being St. Cloud, even though they lost, I think they'll learn a lot from this. And I think Brett Larson and his guys will make the right adjustments moving forward. Yeah, definitely don't want to overlook any opponent because as Brett Larson himself did did allude to, uh, if you overlook an opponent in this league, you might get burned, and St. Cloud did this weekend. Uh, speaking of Brett Larson and the coaching staff, we did have a listener question, um, and it was kind of an interesting one, Nick, uh, and it was one that um, they wanted to kind of ask a little bit here. Um, it is uh, Essentially, the question kind of reads, uh, you know, how will St. Cloud State target players from Finland now with Coach Gibbons at Bemidji State? How do they recruit in Finland with Gibby on? Is there enough talent for both St. Cloud and Bemidji to recruit mm -hmm. from that area? You know, other Division One programs as well. I mean, has it been this big secret that is now getting on people's radars? Um, so uh, I guess any clarity on that one, Nick? Um, you know, how does the recruiting process kind of work? Can you fill fans in on that? Um, are they stopping recruiting in Finland or does it keep going? Well, first of all, no. Recruiting never stops. If, if people think recruiting you know, takes a day off, they're absolutely insane. Um, honestly, no. It's not, a, it's not a surprise that you know, Finland has good players. It's the question of what does the Finland players, what is their road to try to get to the highest level of hockey? And for them, that's usually in the Finnish league. And then some of them will try to come over to the Ontario Hockey League and then get drafted. Uh, Vieti Miettinen, you know, to be specific, I think that's what this question is really regarding. Um, he said all along he's not a traditional route type player from that area. Um, he stayed uh, with his team uh, even at his age, you know, coming through. And then he wanted to come over to the United States and play college hockey because he wanted an education and not just play hockey. And uh, again, it's, it's no secret. It's again, when you're talking international players, Noah, you know, it's not just convincing them to play hockey. That's the easy part. It's asking them to come away from family and friends and from, you know, the country that they're there from and to come into a completely different world, adjust, but still play the game that they love. It's, you know, it's offering them more than just hockey. That's the tough part. And, uh, you know, as far as the recruiting aspect goes, you know, it depends on how that transition between uh, Coach uh, uh, Gibbons and, uh, and Dave Shiak goes. Because, you know, if, it, it's about relationships. You develop relationships with certain people. That's all recruiting is. And if you have relationship with coaches or leagues or whatnot, that you come in and, you know, have conversations with players, that's what it's all about at the end of the day. And so if there was, like, you know, a changing of the guard or a passing of the torch where it's like, hey, I'm, I'm retiring. Here's this guy. You know, he's going to take over my gig. Great. If there wasn't that, then that's on to Dave Shiak and what he has as far as his established relationships. So it's no secret. 
it's really it's no secret. It's who you know, and they know what kind of relationship you can do. But it ultimately, comes to how well can you sell what you're offering to the player to have them come over. It's a lot harder coming over the Atlantic Ocean than it is, say, a guy that's you know in the great state of Florida, or Massachusetts, and California. It's just a whole different ball game. Uh, and at the end of the day, every player that plays at this level, what do they want to do? They want to get to the next level, and yet ultimately to the top level of the NHL. So, uh, Ben, I know you can probably chime in on this well, but mm-hmm. effectively, it's about relationships. Yeah, it is, you know, and, and everything you said, that's your spot on, man. And, you know, I, I think too, it's word of mouth. You know, I think word of mouth amongst players, amongst coaches, uh, you know, I, I, these players talk, you know, they're, they're, they're chirping in a good way, boys. And that's uh, a little inside joke there, but uh, yeah, I, I think that has a lot to do with it too. And, and guys are going to go where they want to go. And if they see guys that have success at one place that could attract them and they might reach out to that guy or they may know the guy or whatever, whatever the case may be. But the bottom line is like Nick said, it comes back to relationships and I think they'll still get guys from over there. I really do. I mean, the, the, the culture and those type of things in, in the St. Cloud area in the state of Minnesota, I mean, let's be honest, they're similar to what those guys, you know, grow up in and, and live in over in Finland. So I think that's a great selling point. And I think there's a lot of Finnish players over there that want to take this route. And I think that'll continue. I really do. But, but Nick's right. I mean, with Gibby gone, that's that's a big loss in that regard, but they have the relationship already established, as Nick mentioned, and you know you just got to continue that and, and finesse it the right way and and hope the guys keep coming. And let's not forget a guy like Nick Oliver, also on that coaching yeah. staff too, who is not that far removed from being a player. So really can right. probably bridge that gap between, you know, knowing what the mentality of those young men are uh, as they go and recruit on the trail. Speaking of a guy that we didn't know uh, how this young man was going to perform, but he's done very, very well as we move over into our final topic, final big topic of the day here. And that's Kirill Kaprizov for the Minnesota Wild. Uh, through the first two games, the Minnesota Wild have been down three to one entering the third period in Los Angeles. Uh, come back both times and won it in overtime both times last night's game on saturday was yeah i jumped up and yelled at my tv and ryan Suterberry that <laughs> one i uh, um nick i mean i mean maybe let's start with you i mean what have you seen from the minnesota wild what have you liked what haven't you liked i um and were you up last night to uh, check out the drama unfold for the minnesota wild I was on the ice actually myself when they went into the third, but I watched the first 40 minutes. Uh, a couple of things in the first two games, this wild team is faster. Um, and that's not something that uh, we have been really able to say the last couple of years. Uh, they just seem to be playing with a much better pace. Um, I like the offense that they're generating. I feel like they're more physical, especially on the forecheck. Uh, but at the end of it, defensively, especially with some of those chances, they're getting caught a little bit. And for the Los Angeles things, you know, no disrespect to that organization. But, you know, L.A. is a team that's in a rebuild. They've got a lot of young players. And for Minnesota to go in and to have to claw from behind two straight games, um, it's great to get the W's, but also should throw up some concerns as well for this hockey club that, you know, when they go face good teams like Colorado, like St. Lewis and for Vegas those are going to be some really tough opponents uh but overall you know again it's early it's only two games you know these players have not had a preseason they've had a very shortened training camp there's a long pause uh from when this team played three games in the bubble till now so to me there's a lot of rust that's got to be shaken off from both organizations so to me really too early to tell I think we got to get to game 10 before we really know what we're looking at on the ice yeah, I, I'm curious to know who kind of stands out for you guys. For me, honestly, there was a guy that flew under the radar, and I know he ended up in the 1C position last night, but he actually impressed even before, and that was actually Victor Rask. I think Victor Rask, for all the kind of crap that he's gotten from everybody about his contract and the way that he's kind of be, 
been a black ace, if you will. For those who don't know what a black ace is, it's essentially a guy who's uh, on the squad but sitting in the press box almost every night, essentially, almost the taxi squad, if you will. Um, but he's a guy – I don't know if he reformed his skating – uh, in the summer, you know, if he was with uh, Diane Ness and checking out, you know, how we can develop in that area. But he looks like a lot smoother skater, looks a lot more confident with the puck. And, uh, you know, he's a guy that I think, uh, especially with Nick Bukestad kind of having an up and down two games, I thought Victor Rass really filled in that role nicely. I don't know if he's a guy that's going to continue the success or if it was just a two game uh, kind of spurt of brilliance, if you will. But if this is the Victor Rass that we're going to get through the next 54 games, I think the Minnesota Wild will be definitely pleased to not have four and a half million dollars sitting in the press box. Uh, were there any were there any guys that stuck out to either of you, uh, whoever wants to jump in about uh, um, the Minnesota Wild? Go ahead, Nick. So to me, I really actually liked the play of Nick Bonino, honestly. Mm -hmm. Nick Bonino to me was a guy that he was brought in for a very specific purpose to fill in that center role depth. And to me, um, he's a guy that plays a very, very good two-way game. Um, I like his defensive structure. I like how he's able to read the play offensively. He's a guy that stuck out to me. Uh, no question, Kaprizov is a guy that, you know, with his skating, how good and how hard he is on the puck is something that's very impressive. Uh, you saw with a couple of turnovers that he got that, you know, he's used to having a little bit more space and maybe some lanes that he used to have in Russia that he's not going to have now. So there'll be some adjustment for him. But uh, to me, Bonino was good. Um, I, I actually agree with you in the Rask part. Um, you know, the one thing that he definitely will have to improve is his face-off percentage. But uh, uh, really liked what I saw with Rask. Uh, again, a couple of the new guys. Uh, Bukestad, I thought, up and down, although he was okay um, at, at the end of it. And how about Marcus Foligno, man? I mean, uh, we talked about he just got an extension three years, $9.3 million. Uh, he's well worth that extension. He was a guy that when we talked a couple episodes ago where I thought he could have been in the running for the captaincy position. Uh, to me, he is that spark plug. He is the, you know, sort of the ringleader for that squad. And uh, when he plays the game that he Hand, which is physical, hard hitting, fast. Uh, he's a guy, he potted a goal uh, again on opening night. He's a guy that can really uh, turn the tides around for this hockey squad if things are going right. And uh, I love the play of Marcus Foligno. Eight different goal scorers uh, for the Minnesota Wild. Two guys I want to ask about Marcus Johansson and Cam Talbot. Uh, what, what do you guys think of them? Uh, for Cam Talbot, a little shaky. Uh, his rebound control, uh, to me, isn't the greatest, especially for the first two games. And again, it's only two games. So I'm trying not to, you know, write off a goaltender with only 120 minutes under his belt. But there were definitely a couple of saves, uh, whether it was in his glove and it dropped down or when he was kicking things out. It just was, you know, right to an opposing forward. Uh, to me, uh, it just doesn't seem to be settled in quite yet. And a lot of it is, again, you're developing, you know, just your lanes and your sight with what your defensemen are doing, where you need to be, you know, should I be taking the shooter? So he's still adjusting to the team that's in front of him. Um, but to me, he played okay. Uh, and as far as Marcus Johansson's concerned, again, you're coming over from Buffalo. Uh, you're trying to get established into a new system. I think he's going to be okay. I like his passing. His passing is unbelievable. And I think once it gets comfortable, you're going to start seeing him shoot the puck more. So I think there's some potential with Johansson. Uh, the big question for him is going to be, where does he end up? Does he end up on the wing or does he end up in the center? Does he flip-flop back and forth. Um, I know that he was brought in to try to, you know, get that center depth uh, for the Minnesota Wild down the middle. I'm not quite so sure that he's going to fill that role at this moment, but he's a guy that he has some versatility where maybe, you know, again, we see injuries happen all the time. He it might end up being in one or the other spot, depending on where they need him the most. I think he's going to be a good role player for the hockey squad. 
Yeah, very, very interesting. Uh, the Minnesota Wild uh, back in action, uh, of course, with uh, Anaheim upcoming in this week and then continuing down the stretch. Uh, we also do have Brett Hedekin coming on this week. And Ben, I want to kick it to you for this one. Uh, that's yeah. that, that's going to wrap it up for our actual segments. But I kind of want to kick it to you. So we had Brett Hedekin on. Uh, he was a great, great interview. Wish you could have talked to him more. But of course, he's busy doing his thing. I, you know, when you first got into the world of broadcasting, were there some people or players that you interviewed or got to be around that I, it's interesting when we interviewed Brett, I, I don't think, I didn't feel nervous, you know, really Nick, I, I guessing you definitely didn't feel nervous. Cause that's just kind of who you are. And this is what you do. Um, ben, I mean, were there people uh, or are there still people that kind of give you that odd starstruck or kind of nervous factor? Or when you first started, were there a couple people that you're like, Holy smokes, I can't believe this is who I'm interviewing and I'm very terrified about it. <laughs> um there's a couple guys, and I got one really good story involving Brendan Shanahan. Um <laughs> Barry Sanders, man, that was I mean, when you stood next to Barry, it was like, whoa. I mean, he had legs the size of oak trees, man. Nicest guy, man. Just and, and I used I I I worked at WDIV here in Detroit writing news with a woman that later became his wife, uh, Lauren Campbell, they're divorced now. I think they have four or five kids, but so I had a little bit of it in there, you know, because I, you know, I knew her, but Barry would be one uh, magic Johnson. He was another guy, but I interviewed him about 10 times. And when I worked in Lansing, my boss was involved in really naming him when he was in high school, um, him and his buddy kind of were sitting around and they nicknamed him. They said, well, he's magic. That's all we can think of. Uh, those are a couple guys that come to mind. Uh, Gordy Howe, I got to interview him once. Uh, Al Kaline, former Tiger, Hall mm -hmm. of Famer. And those are the two men, that, the only two men, maybe this is wrong of me, but I'm, I'm a kind, respectful guy, as you guys know. But I'm saying what I should have probably done with other people is do this more. But two times in my career when I've interviewed Gordy Howe and Al Kaline, it wasn't, hey, Gordy, hey, Al. It was, hello, Mr. Howe. Hello, Mr. Kaline. So those were those were some giants that I got to interview. So the Shanahan story is this. You guys, you guys will remember this. And you guys aren't that young. Uh, 2002, when the Red Wings won the cup, they beat Carolina that year. They were down 2-0 to Vancouver at home. Dan Cloutier was the netminder for the Canucks. Of course, the Sedin guys, they were in the prime of their careers. And Vancouver came into Joe Lewis and won the first two games. So the wings are in a two-rip hole. The, the Nick Lidstrom goal ensued. The red line shot, beat Cloutier, turned it around. The wings swept them. So after game two, I'm working in Lansing as a reporter and going to the locker room and waiting for the scrum to start. And Brandon Shanahan just happens to walk out. And he's like, he walks right into me, basically. And I look at my camera guy, Steve Crum. I'm like, let's go. So we – get into position, people just swarm it. You guys know how it works. And now remember, they lost two, they lost the first two games. So Shanahan's, you know, up here on me and towering over me and I asked the question and I said, do you guys feel like you got to work tonight? And the, you could hear like a collective gasp in the, in the media scrum, like, oh, what did he do? What did he just do? And Shanny stared at me for a good 10 seconds, boys. He just stared at me, just, you know, they just got their ass kicked. They're down two nothing, right? And about 10 seconds later, he says, well, what'd you think? And I said, well, with all due respect and all honesty, we kind of like to know what you think. And he went into the question and it was like a five minute answer. It was quotes all over in every paper. That was one I always remember. And 
I talked to Brett Hull before that. I was able to get him in his stall by himself. He's drinking a beer, of course. You know, that's how Hall is. And uh, before he went blues, that's one of my favorite sound bites ever. Um, and he was dead. He goes, yeah, you're damn right. We got our, we got our ass kicked. We were to figure it out, you know, and then you go to Shanahan and it's all business, man. So those are a few for me guys. Yeah. I, I remember, uh, I, at the Herb Brooks national hockey center, uh, Nick, I'll kick it over to you in a second here. Uh, um, I think one person, um, we'll, we'll call you Mr. Holden, by the way, from now on. I, no, you won't. <laughs> no, you won't. <laughs> um, depends <laughs> if you, if you give me money, I will. Um, okay. But uh, I would say Mark Johnson would probably fill that void for me. I remember when we when I interviewed Mark on the 40th anniversary of Miracle. That one was for me because uh, I, I ran into him uh, down at the Herb. They had uh, traveled because for those who don't know, uh, a lot of these weekend series, is, especially in the normal world, if you will, uh, the team usually travels the day before and usually gets a chance to practice on the ice the day before, the morning of, uh, before they play the games that weekend. And Wisconsin, not too far of a drive. So they had gotten there Thursday afternoon, about five o'clock in practice while I'm waiting at the herb, you know, they practice at seven o'clock. I'm waiting, watching their practice, waiting till nine 30. Cause they're telling me uh, the SID says you're going to interview Mark Johnson after the practice. And I go, okay, sounds good. Um, so he's kind of walking around and I see him walking down the hallway after practice. The SID didn't tell Mark that I was going to interview him. <laughs> So, so I walk up to him and, you know, I, at first I'm kind of thinking he's going to recognize me because I'm the only person standing in the building. I've got, you know, all my gear and stuff with me. And he kind of walks by and I go, uh, um, Hey, Mr. Johnson, you know, what's going on? Um, you know, I'm Noah Grant from the university Chronicle. I'm here to interview you and that sort of thing. And he kind of stops and he goes, Oh, and you know, I'm shaking in my boots at this point. Cause I'm like, Oh geez, I had to stop him and tell him that I was going to like get his time. And as a reporter, you're kind of thinking, we're not going to get a very good interview. If he doesn't even know, you know, that we're going to be hanging out. He goes, can you come to the rink tomorrow at eight o'clock? I'm kind of tired. I'm like, I'll be there at seven 30. So it came, told him 15 minutes and it was 14 minutes and 50 seconds. It was perfect. It was a, is a heck of a time and a really good interview. But I just remember how is a guy again, Nick, how is a guy that's even shorter that you, than you at about five foot eight or five foot seven. So intimidating to me, but I tell you what, for a guy who's over 60 years old, he can still buzz around the rink. So uh, take it away, Mr. Maxson. Who's your guy that, or, or your couple of guests that really, um, got you shaking in your boots as a young broadcaster. I don't know if shaking was in my boots, but maybe awestruck. Uh, Derek Bugard was one guy that to me was a really good interview. Uh, it, it was a light switch with that guy. I mean, you walk in the interview, uh, as you say in the locker room, and if you, the wild locker room, you walk in and then you actually go off to the right and it's kind of rectangular that way. And on the right-hand wall, they had you know the big three. They had Derek Bugard, John Scott and then Cal Clutterbuck all in one line. It was uh, quite, wow. quite, it was, it was murderer's row essentially down, down there in the locker room. But mm-hmm. you, you walk up to Derek Bugard and he was sit there and he was just about as calm as you could be. Um, this, this guy was the absolute nicest guy you could ever, ever want. Uh, just very, very courteous for this time. It was very, I mean, you could, you could just sense who he was off the ice and you just, you almost, it almost makes you question, you know, where the light switch was in the back of his skull that he turned on when he went on the ice. Cause I mean, he was absolutely ferocious when he came to the ice, but the nicest human being, uh, Miko Koivu was another one that was, 
uh, you know, kind of similar to Shanahan, all business when you talk to him. Uh, he's a guy that, uh, you know, can kind of get short with you. But one of my better stories is actually with a defenseman named Greg Zanin. Uh, Greg Zanin was a guy, you know, incredible shot blocking defenseman of those you knew from his days in Nashville and Minnesota. He actually was sitting to his right of Mika Koivu. Now, if you walk into NHL locker rooms, Noah, what you'll see is there's a, a square that's on the um, in front of the locker room stalls. And basically, that's a buffer. So that way, you know, you don't get too close to them so that way they can undress and whatnot. And as a reporter, you have to stay, you know, outside that little box. And this was the game. I it was I, I forget exactly who they were playing. It might have been Vancouver, um, but uh, the Wild had just won an overtime. So they're crowding Miko Koivu and Greg Zanin was written there next to him. And then a reporter came in, and I think they set a briefcase down in that square. It looked like a young kid. It didn't look like you know maybe you read the entire media handbook. And Greg Zanin uh, looked like you know he just popped off. He was basically looked at uh, former PR Ryan Stanzel. And mind you, great guy. I loved Ryan uh, back in his days. And he just looked at Ryan. He was across the room and says hey man can you get this freaking bag out here or else i'm gonna start breaking crap and he just like walking I mean, he was just a hothead dude man uh just unbelievable but uh that, i think but uh, i think it's interesting you mentioned cal clutterbuck too did you guys see uh cal clutterbuck last night was the guy who took a slap shot and knocked out uh it was at semi varlamov the islanders a mm-hmm. slap shot to the neck um my former high school coach talked about clutterbuck he, they did some like charity shot yeah well okay He's also a freaking meathead too. Um, and, and the and the reason I a reason I say that is uh, like I've heard stories. Well paid from, one. Yeah, very much so. Um, we're just regular we're just regular meatheads over here. Um, right. But he's my former coach was telling me a story, and I've heard stories like this about Cal all the time. I mean, good hockey player as you just mentioned, but they were doing like a charity event with a bunch of kids, and you know he like started ripping around the ice with all these kids, and he was like running over kids, and he backed into a kid and stuff. So he's kind of a, I don't know, he's. He's competitive, um, <laughs> but, I have, but I have two more stories right. for you, uh, two more. So the, the, the first one, the, the biggest interview I had was Andrew Burnett, and I did the 10-year anniversary of his overtime goal against Patrick Waugh against Colorado. Yeah. And uh, Andrew Burnett, I mean, what you see is what you get with him. He, he's a guy that's no different on or off face. He's an absolutely funny dude but uh you know we're, we're kind of taking him through the goal and uh he, just his explanation of what he saw especially when he had all that empty ice right in front of wa i mean very very good dude we interviewed him for about like 20 minutes and i remember after that we kind of sit there sat there and chatted and he had to go up because i think at that point it was early in his front office career i think he was a an advisor and an assistant to the gm and he's like you play man he's like yeah he goes, oh, so what'd you play, forward or D or goalie? I was like, oh, I was a forward. He goes, oh, yeah, too smart to be a defenseman. And then he just walked out of the room. He was a super, super funny guy. Um, but probably my favorite story was, uh, now most of you know, I, I've worked probably too many jobs than I care to do, but I was working uh, at a restaurant in Edina. Now, of those who don't know the Edina, that's just west of Minneapolis. And uh, the Westin Hotel also has a lot of condos and a lot of the wild players actually lived in that building. I used to manage a restaurant there and I used to, would, I used to, have Koivu, Clutterbuck, Tom Gilbert, and Kyle Brodziak come in all the time for happy hour with those guys. And they were just the, I mean, again, out of the nicest people I ever get to know too. Uh, Kyle Brodziak was one heck of a nice dude, man. Uh, you know, you say what you want about his career. I thought he was a really good, you know, depth centerpiece, but just the nicest dude, Tom Gilbert. He was a local kid from Bloomington, played at Bloomington Jefferson, uh, you know, just overall great guys. If there's one thing I've always loved about, you know, interviewing hockey players really at the pro level is that you get normally really good people and uh, some great stories there as well. 
Yeah, Kyle Brodziak was a guy, I guess, for me. He was always an under-the-radar guy that I think was very pivotal, not only in that 2014 playoffs for the Wild, arguably almost could have went to a conference final, but he was just a very good depth piece and was really sad to see him go back to, I believe, Edmonton after his tenure with Minnesota Wild. I believe his career ended from, from like, back injuries at, like, age 30 or something like that. So. Very, very tough, but uh, we're going to try to uh, throw the schedule on the backs of our listeners here. I don't know what kind of transition that was, but anyway, uh, (laughs) the women's hockey team for St. Cloud State uh, back in action this weekend against Wisconsin Friday and Saturday. And then the men's hockey team, as we just talked about, in action against Miami Uh, should be a couple of good ones. Really tough test, I think, for uh, this women's hockey team against Wisconsin. But uh, um, guys, anything else to add before we uh, say bid adieu to our listeners. Don't forget, we do have Brett Hedekin coming out as well for our Healthy Scratch interview segment on Tuesday. Uh, ben, any, anything to add for the listeners before you head on out of here? No, I would just be curious, was, was Hedekin ever healthy? Yeah, right. I mean, I think, what do, you, do you know, Nick? He <laughs> was. I, I yeah. think... What, what is it? I, I think, uh, what did he say in our pre-interview? We asked him if he was actually a legitimate scratch at, at any like level. And I think he said maybe once, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. That, that guy, man, I, I love watching him skate. Um, no, I, I have nothing else. Uh, I've enjoyed this. Now I know the format and uh, <laughs> this is a lot of fun guys. So um, thanks for, uh, thanks for, thanks for wrapping me wrapping, wrapping your arms around me and bringing me in, man. I'm, I'm happy to be a part of the team with you guys. Thanks, Noah. Oh my goodness. Chirp, chirp. I've had enough of both of you. That's gonna do it for <laughs> that's gonna do it for episode number 40, 45 here. Uh stay tuned for as we mentioned, healthy scratch interview for episode number 45 on Tuesday and episode number 46 back with Ben Holden, hopefully again, same time, same place next Sunday. And uh we'll see you next week in the den of the Huskies Warming House podcast. Mm-hmm.